Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Carlson. Yeah. Carlson. Yes. Welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who can't wait to find out what the heck happened to Dougie Hamilton this season. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and psych, just kidding, I'm not your host for today, because for this episode of the 32 Beats interview series, I'm going to be handing the mic over to your good friend and mine, Ben Burnett from Short Shifts, as he talked to Shayna Goldman all about the New Jersey Devils. Really looking forward to listening to this one. I haven't yet myself, so I'll be listening to it along with you. I was actually busy today myself. At the same time that Ben was talking to Shayna, I was talking to Shang Peng all about the San Jose Sharks. So the plan is that we're going to release Ben's interview about the devils with shana goldman right now because you're listening to it on tuesday night and or i guess for you it's wednesday morning and then i'll release the shang peng interview on thursday and then brian and i will do an episode on sunday and then we should have a sends interview with ian mendez coming out shortly after that so a lot of keeping carlson content coming your way make sure you're subscribed over on spotify apple Podcasts, whatever because we're gonna try to knock out all of these beat writer interviews with the best of the best and also of course bring you some fantasy hockey content all throughout the summer to get you ready for your leagues next year but okay, I guess I will stop my blabbering. How about we just head on over to Ben's conversation with Shayna Goldman all about the New Jersey Devils. Really looking forward to listening to this one. Enjoy. Welcome to Keeping Carlson. I am your host for tonight's show, Ben Burnett. And joining me, an esteemed guest from The Athletic, somebody who covers the New Jersey Devils, who we'll be discussing in depth, as well as fantasy and National League coverage, Shayna Goldman is joining me. Shayna, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to have you. We are, uh, as I said, I think twice already now, because we did have to restart the record. <laughs> Uh, we're very lucky. <laughs> it's, it's is it a Monday? It's not. It's Tuesday. You so you can see where my head is. Yeah. Well, in Canada, it is a. We had a long weekend, so yesterday was a holiday. So I count it as a Monday. This is an honorary Monday. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Um, so welcome to the show. Uh, you have been doing fantasy coverage at the Athletic for the last couple of years. I think it's something that uh, has really has really added value to my Athletic subscription. Are you guys planning to continue with that next year? Yep, we'll still be doing it. Uh, I assume weekly columns on Fridays like we were doing. And it's like the waiver wire column plus whatever I want to throw into it because I get to have fun with it. Oh, so you get a little bit of freedom on that side. Yes. Excellent. Well, we are lucky. Uh, once again, you got to keep saying it. I have to anyway, uh, <laughs> continue to talk about how lucky we are to chat devils with you. And so uh, I want to start with the presumed face of the franchise. The I, I think maybe it's a little it feels a little soon to call him a franchise player because he hasn't quite put up that full season, you know, uh, superstar numbers. But Jack Hughes paced for 94 points over 49 games, which is still very, very impressive. Incredible numbers for a 21-year-old. 
Uh, that pace would have put him over a full season inside the top 20 in points last year. I'm wondering, do you have any concerns drafting him inside those top two rounds looking ahead to next year? No. Um, I mean, I think it's tough. Like as a, as a first round pick, I guess it depends on the depth of your league, but I can understand going, you know, second, third, absolutely by the fourth round. Like you got to keep in mind, like this one of the best players in transition at creating offense at five on five. So we're talking about his point totals. We're not even including much that's on the power play because that was pretty putrid for the devils. And, you know, they're going to have a new coach next year. So ideally that's an area that improves, but this is a player who can, you know, bring the puck in with control. He can create with his own shots. He can create with his passing. He's so creative. Every, every game you saw something from him, you know, he was on the ice. He kept the players moving around him and he made his teammates better. So this is definitely a player you're going to want on your team. And if you can't pick him though, you know, the benefit is you can pick someone he played with for me at times this season, it was Jesper Bratt, who it was maybe their most valuable player, especially because he did play the whole season. Um, two-way force right there or you can go with someone like Igor Sharangovich who if you you know like to have positional flexibility he gives you that for sure and so um with Hughes we saw the the even though as you mentioned that that terrible power play in New Jersey Hughes still got his um the shots were up do you see like 100 plus point upside from Hughes I mean I don't see why not I I think it might be a lot to ask for next year but if the devils follow the path that it seems like they want to follow this year and acquire another high end winger too, and really like bulk up that top six, you know, with, I, I don't even want to say bulk up because that probably gives the impression of like size and physical play, which I don't mean, I just mean skill. Then I think that he's in a better position, but in general, I think he can get to those heights, but I think, you know, you can safely count him as at least a point per game player, if not more. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially if they they add somebody on the wing. It feels like that maybe was what they were looking for out of a Thomas Tatar last year. Didn't really get any sort of, you know, top six production from him. Um, Do you see that as sort of they're they're continuing down that trend or do you see them going like bigger name? I think bigger name. I think at this point, you know, I think players like Tatar and Andreas Johnson, you can look at and go, okay, they made sense at the time of acquiring them. They needed forward depth. But if you have players like that, or even Zaka right now, slotting higher in the lineup than they should be, it sets everybody out of where they should be. If they bring in one legitimate top six winger, everybody else slots lower in the depth chart. And that is game changer for everyone else, honestly. And it does seem like they're going to make a splash this season. I know a lot of teams make it seem like they're going to, but I I honestly think the devils are going to do their best too. And when the season ended during breakup day, general manager Tom Fitzgerald did mention that he would be willing to move that first uh, first round pick that they had, not knowing it would end up being as, you know, the second overall pick. But just in the idea that there's that willingness to move the pick, you know, for an impact player, I think tells what they might do and they have the cap space to do it. And so... I mean, we haven't seen a, a pick that high go in a trade in a long time. That 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 almost feels unlikely to me at this point but I guess the point being that he's willing to be aggressive you're saying yeah like do I think that they move that pick I'm not sure do I think they move that pick and don't end up with another first round pick out of it I don't think so um they could always move you know the 2023 pick too I think the spicy deal that I would want to see happen in not just with the devils but overall in the league is teams get a little bit smarter with moving down in the draft so maybe if they saw an opportunity to say move to sixth or eighth from second, get an impact player and get a you know high pick out of it, 
that would be really interesting to see what the value would be. And that's something I do want to look into before the draft to see, you know, what compares, but we just don't see those trades happen very often. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's um, it's just one of the the features of this league that we don't see aggressive trades like that. Um, you mentioned Jesper Bratt a little earlier. Um, probably, I would say, the biggest surprise for the Devils at forward last year. Nearly puts up a point-per-game pace over the full season. Really just an incredible glow-up for this kid who seems to get better every year since he entered the league. Um, you know, somebody who I remember when he broke with the Devils, just being like, this kid's a, a sixth-round pick, I, I think. Like, just unbelievable what he's been able to do. Um, the underlying numbers look really solid as well. Do you think Brat has another gear, or did he sort of hit his ceiling this year? I'm sure he has another gear if the team improves overall as well. Right. So it's not just him dragging them forward. But you could see the consistency be- you know, below the surface before he really popped off on the score sheet this year, and I think that's super impressive too. It's like a testament to his game. He's very reliable on both ends of the ice, super skillful. You know, He has a great shot, he can pass, and he's really good in transition too. Yeah, uh, and so... I, I try to think about, you know, we're we're very early on. We haven't seen uh, we haven't seen any sort of um, free agency yet. But looking ahead to next year, do you see the Devils trying to work a, a Hughes Brat connection moving into next season? I that I do wonder if he's better suited with Hughes or Heeshear. And it's interesting because if you look at the Devils, three of the best players in transition are Heeshear, Hughes, and Brat. And Hughes is a level above the rest. Do you need Brat on his wing? Maybe not. Maybe he sure is better to have Brat alongside him. Um, and you can have someone like if they don't make too many improvements, like a Dawson Mercer continue to play the wing with Jack Hughes or something because it ensures he's out of the you know third line. It keeps him in the top six. Um, if they bring another winger in, though, at the top of their lineup, then it brings in, you know, a little bit more intrigue because you have to balance it. And I would imagine Brat, you know, is slotted on one line and that other impact winger on another just to spread out the wealth a little bit around the top six. Yes, and I, and I think that Nico Hishier is the the next name that I that I want to talk about. Um, a player who halfway through the year I would have said like, okay, another you know fifty five points, maybe sixty points if he if he turns it up season from Nico Hishier, and then he comes back from an injury and goes on a tear. I think he went point for game over the season's last thirty five games. Finished the year with sixty points in seventy. Just a really nice jump for a first overall pick who had yet to top that 60-point pace. It does seem harder to trust Heeshier than Brat or Hughes in fantasy uh, because he feels destined to land behind Hughes on the depth chart. How do you see the Devils trying to split those top two lines next year? Do you do you think that Heeshier, you know, maintains top power play? How do How do you see them featuring him? I think he should maintain top power play time because you should load up your top unit no matter what. So if it's a player like Brat, Hughes, um, Heeshear as, you know, the mainstays, Dougie Hamilton, and then you figure out a fourth forward, that's the way to go in my opinion. But you really never know. And we obviously don't know who's going to be coaching the power play. So we don't have any like ideas on what their typical strategies are. Um, with Hughes, though, they they really can can roll with a top six of Hughes and, and Heeshear. And that's a great strength to have. It's never a bad thing to have a top six, you know, a top six center, whether they're first or second line. And depending on who he plays with, that'll decide to just how productive he is because he's productive in his own right. But who does he have players that are elevate him or is he going to be the player elevating his line mates? And I do think that makes a difference. Um, but he can definitely take on more defensive minutes and uh, tougher minutes. 
So that might affect his scoring at the end of the day, although I still think his scoring is going to be just fine. While Hughes is a player, coaches will more likely shelter in more offensive minutes so he can play to his strengths. Yeah, it feels a little bit to me like Vancouver. Like it reminds me of a, a Pedersen um, Horvat situation. Um, but it sounds like you think that he shears jump into the the sixty and seventy. That like the overall, you're not too worried about him repeating that type of a pace. I think he could. I think he's a very good player, and I think that he's probably held to a standard higher than what he should have been because you know we get spoiled with first overall picks and what they do, so we expect them all to be the same. And, you know, you can look at the quality of the team around him, too, and have to take that into consideration. But this is still a very young, very good player. And I think that that could definitely be closer to what he is versus some of the scoring from years past. And so when I look at the rest of the Devils uh, up front, it kind of feels like they're all in a similar tier. Like you mentioned, in terms of fantasy, at least, you know, you mentioned Sharon Govich and Mercer, Zaka, all of them put up in that, you know, around 40 to 45 point paces. Um, looking ahead to fantasy drafts next year, do you see any of the, that next group as draftable types or are they more like waiver wire targets that you'll be looking at depending on their deployment? Yeah, probably closer to waiver wire deployments. I think Hughes, Heeshear and Brad are the locks up front that, you know, teams should want, but I think a late round pick could definitely go out to Sharon Govich who, you know, for two seasons now has made a really good pairing with Jack Hughes. And when Hughes was out of the lineup, I think he got the opportunity to show that he's not just being carried by the center, but he compliments him as well. You know, he's a very good player in his own right. And he has, like I said before, that positional flexibility that I think if you are looking for a depth player, you should always be striving for because you don't want the, you don't want to have to fit the rest of your lineup around a depth player to squeeze them in. You want that depth player to be, you know, as versatile as possible. So he's someone I would look at and also Dawson Mercer up front. Yes, Dawson Mercer, uh, a player who you mentioned um, as somebody who you're you're hoping can sort of slot ahead in more of a scoring role, um, but you know finishes the year with whatever it was around forty points last year. Uh, seems like a player who has a lot to give as a former first round pick. Do you, um, when you look into those numbers, does he pop off or or sort of jump off the page to you? The best stretch of his season came while Jack Hughes was out because he played alongside Johnson and Jesper Bratt, who is one of the team's best facilitators. And that definitely elevated his game, but he rose to the occasion when that opening, you know, that opened up. It was so early in his NHL career and so many players wouldn't be able to handle that. And he did. Did he fade a little bit when he went back to the third line? Yes. I think quality of teammates has a lot to do with it too. So when he got that boost back up to the top six, which I imagine we're going to see a lot of moving forward because you do have that top option. Would you prefer him getting third line minutes or top six minutes? And, you know, there's a good reason to say top six minutes, even if he's not playing his natural position. So I think that there is potential there. So I, those were all the forwards that I had mentioned. Before I jump to defense, are there any other forwards that you think are are sort of on your fantasy radar heading into next year? Nope. And I'm honestly not sure who, you know, holds out and lasts because as much as you can look at this team and go, okay, maybe they'll stack up to the contender that you could want, you know, as depth players. Something that Fitzgerald did say was he has so much of the same and he wants to uh, you know, make this a little bit more diverse up front with different skill sets. And I think that means moving players. So it's tough to pinpoint who will be where, you know, maybe if Holtz makes the team, he might be someone to watch, but I think he'll be in a pretty sheltered role or, you know, something along those lines, but really it's the top of their lineup and it'll be curious to see what they do and we can go from there, you know? Yeah. 
that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think Holtz is Holtz is an interesting case for sure. Um, and of course, it'll be interesting to see where they go at second overall in the draft. Do you um do you follow the draft closely? Are you are you just in playoff mode, or or do you have a, a preference for who you'd like to see them take it to? I am more in playoff mode. I leave that to the experts. There's so many people who are great in studying prospects for months leading up to the draft. I am not one of those people. I have tried. It is not my thing. I will get there eventually. Um, <laughs> when we get closer to it and have a better idea, I do study up. And after players drafted, I can dive into the video. But I focus much more on like the the NHL level and the playoffs. I admire you. I am... Uh... As a as a fan, I'm typically the sort of person who like does not follow the draft until this, you know, when my team is in the lottery, then I I'll start to follow as the season winds down. And then by draft night, I have, you know, my my diehard opinion, like, oh, we yeah. got to make sure we get Oliver Wallstrom if, or whatever it is like. But yep. I admire you deferring, I suppose. Yeah, I've tried. Uh, like the, the you say Wallstrom, that was a player I spent a lot of time studying him with. I think it was Noah Dobson. And then the Rangers went off the board to pick crafts off. And that was the first year I really got to do any sort of draft coverage because I hadn't written much about it ever to that point. And then they picked a player that I had not done my homework on. So it was like, Ooh, maybe there's a reason I don't study this all year. And, you know, you try to cram it in last minute. That's, you know, there's, there's some really great content. I think that it's best to elevate the people who do it all the time. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I just, uh, and it, it does, I think sort of go to show as a fan, why it can be a bit fruitless when you spend all this time getting worked up. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, screw Oliver Wallstrom. I love Vitaly Kravtsov. And now it's, ah, Vitaly Kravtsov, who needs him? (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, jumping to defense, Got to talk about Dougie Hamilton first. He's been a favorite of mine in fantasy for a long time, was a league winner for me in previous years, and was the highest ranked devil heading into last season. I would say he wound up being mostly a fantasy bust this year, obviously put up really solid peripheral stats, but points-wise, finished around a half point per game uh, after being among the league leaders in points per game for D-men in Carolina do you see a reason in his game that explains that fall off? Or is this purely the the power play shenanigans you mentioned earlier? A little bit of everything. I think first you have to adjust to playing on a, a new team and a team that was a lot worse than what he was accustomed to. Not for nothing. You go from Carolina, which is one of the best defensive teams in the league to the Devils. Um, then he, before he broke his jaw, it did seem like maybe he was playing through an injury, which I think weighed on his game. And then there's the drive to that. So, and then getting reacclimated when he came back into the lineup, he was not back on power play one because Severson took over in his absence. So at times they did go to defensemen if he got on it or he was on the second unit too. So, you know, all of those things definitely trickle into it. I think, I think obviously we're going to look at his age and we can look at players who start to get past their prime as they get into the late twenties and early thirties. And I think that's perfectly reasonable to talk about, but I also think that with a new look power play, which they'll have, and probably a new defensive system as well, because they got rid of Elaine Nazardine, who handled the defense, that there's a little bit more potential. And obviously, if they bring in more forwards and there's more support up front, that a defenseman is in a better position to succeed offensively. So I wouldn't worry just yet. I think that maybe his stock fell off a little bit, and that makes sense. But that's something to benefit from when others don't want to pick him. Ah, So you're saying you see Dougie as a value heading into next year? Yes, but not too high in the draft because there are very good defensemen to pick, you know, otherwise that maybe are more short things on better teams. But I think the bad team effect or one bad year can stop everyone from going for someone that they should. 
Yeah, I I kind of that's where I I land on Dougie is is mainly just that he's been so good for so long, so consistent for so long, and he has the opportunity. It's kind of weird though because he was that guy for so long on in Calgary and and in Carolina his first year where it just felt like teams were allergic to giving him power play opportunity, but that doesn't seem to be the case here, right? Like you you don't see uh, a new Devils coach continuing that trend of inexplicably um you know putting him on power play too yeah i would be super surprised i think that most coaches know his skill set and know that he can run a power play and maybe if it doesn't work out then you look back to someone like severson or if someone like ty smith jumps out and has a breakout season that's another conversation as well but i think the more reliable person is doug hamilton and ideally a team you know, leans on that top unit, gives them 70% of the ice time or something along those lines and goes four forward, one defenseman, if not five forwards to mix it up. But I don't think that'll be the case here. But no, that's that's the player that should be on power play one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I was very surprised, you know, the season didn't end that long ago. And so I remember, of course, Damon Severson was very uh, useful in fantasy the last few months of the season. But I was very surprised just to see him as the next highest rostered devil skater on Yahoo behind the group we've discussed so far. Um, just because it's been so we're so many years into Damon Severson's career uh, that I was shocked to learn that he is only 27. Yeah. Uh, puts up 46 points this year, career best, including 17 power play points. Uh, do you see anything repeatable here? Is are you are you drafting Damon Severson, or is he the guy who's going to go to the auto draft team in like round eight, and it's just going to be a disaster for them? I don't think it'll be a disaster, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was the auto draft because it doesn't look like he'll be points for power play one. And I think the defenders you ideally draft, you try to rely on power play performers because that's an important stat and it counts for multiple categories, but he can check off things like block shots. And if those physical categories are more important, that makes sense too. But no, he's a, he's a very good player and he stepped up for the devils. He, he gets a lot of shit because when he makes a mistake, it's very glaring. Um, I think everyone could look at say, you know, a play against Mitch Marner this year where he played it wrong and it absolutely burned him. But like at the end of the day, he is very reliable for the Devils in their top four. He's a very important player for them. He can play in all situations in any role. And when they needed him to step up, he did. So I think he's a very good player. He's not the ideal fantasy player, but he's someone that should be available to pick up as needed. And that's, that's you know, he was someone I put in my columns all the time because he had a very low ownership percentage. Is he the sort of player where like if they like he he's playing too high in the lineup, though? Do, do you see him no. as somebody who ideally? Okay. I think wow. he played higher because of the Hamilton injury, but I think legitimately he can handle shutdown minutes in the top four. And, you know, he played a lot with someone like Jonas Siegenthaler, who's very, very good defensively, essentially useless from a fantasy context. And that's totally fine, but your ideal shutdown defenseman. So the two of them as a pairing together as a second pair could be very, very, very valuable for the devils. Maybe not for your fantasy team as much, but no, I think that he is someone that can legitimately play that role, but I think he had been negatively impacted by his usage in years past because some of the minutes that he was tasked to face earlier in his career were ridiculously difficult and he didn't respond well to them, but he has grown into that role. Okay, that's interesting. I remembered Severson having a bit of an offensive pedigree just from when he was brought over from Anaheim, but I mean, he puts up 17 power play points this year. What is what's happening beyond like <laughs> is there anything beyond power play randomness here that that Dougie tanks while 
Severson has a career season? Well, I think when the Devils were playing some of their best hockey came after the holiday break and they were without Dougie for a while after that too. And, um, you know, that's when Hughes was healthy and things were on the rise. So I think it was the fact it was like a beneficial timing for him that that's when he stepped up, you know, and the team was clicking in front of him a bit more. And then as Dougie returned and then there were other injuries and everything started to trend down and goaltending became continued to be a problem, but you know what I mean? Um, I think it worked out for him. I don't think that one has to do with the other, unless it's going to be one taking power play time away from the other. And if it's Dougie taking it away from Severson, that's what you ideally want, even though Severson did put up points on the advantage this year. Okay. So you're not reading too much into the the massive power play point bump for, for Severson. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. I think next year though, if there is that true bump, I think that most managers will have the chance to add him and deal with it as needed after the season starts. You mentioned Ty Smith very recently, uh, a player who was a very recent first round pick was supposed to be an offensive force. I was really excited to have him in a dynasty league before the Devils brought Dougie Hamilton in. And then uh, when Hamilton goes out, it still doesn't uh, fall on Ty Smith, the, the top power play role. Does he have a chance at getting meaningful power play minutes next year? Maybe if they do roll to balance units, which they could do. Some teams do go for like 55, 45 split you know, like for percentage of ice time. Um, this is a player that has a lot of offensive potential. And I think he showed it more in his first year versus second year. I do think that they need to work on his usage and find him a good two-way defender who can skate alongside him. I think that'll do wonders for his game. Uh, and I wonder what a new voice behind the bench does for him as well. Uh, it's not to knock Nazardine in any which way, but I, you know, sometimes a player responds differently to another voice. So that that's something I am curious about because they were legitimate mistakes. And I think before the holiday break in particular, you could see, you know, how many times did the devil's make a mistake and how many times was he on the ice right there in the middle of it. So he can carry in the puck super well. He has great, you know, he has good hands. He's a really good skater and he can distribute to his teammates too. So he has the fundamentals. He just needs help executing. And I think that if he trends in the right direction, yes, there's going to be power play time for him. How meaningful is it? I really don't know yet. It's very interesting. It it that Dougie Hamilton signing just from Ty Smith's perspective really just felt <laughs> like it. After the breakout he had as a rookie, it just really felt like it, it sort of clipped those wings from a fantasy perspective. But it, it'll be interesting to see what happens if he you know if he turns it on next year or or sort of what happens. Um, unfortunately, when it comes to New Jersey, we do have to talk about goaltending, and last year. I looked up, I uh, looked at natural stat trick last night. The Devils were a mid tier team def by defensive metrics, but were bottom five in goals against. Hard not to blame that on goaltending and maybe in particular on team construction since they were built to depend on Mackenzie Blackwood, who, you know, has suffered from injuries the, pe the first few years of his career. Uh, obviously, you wouldn't expect them to be down to their seventh or eighth goaltender or whatever it was. Um, Looking at Mackenzie Blackwood, though, to start here, for a third consecutive year, puts up a worse save percentage than the year before. This year was a career-worst goal saved against above average, his career-worst quality start percentage. Do you see the Devils rolling, like running it back with Mackenzie as, as their number one? Or it seems to me like they almost have to bring in somebody to pair him as a 1A, 1B type situation. Yeah, this is where it gets really interesting because it does seem like there's the road to get him out of New Jersey is there. I think it started with 
not just his poor play last year. I forget about this season for a second, but even the year before it was, you know, he was, he responded really poorly to his workload and no, it wasn't the easiest of workloads, but he did not respond well to it at all. The vaccine situation, I think left a sour taste and, you know, it is worth mentioning. He did change his agent mid-year and you don't really change your agent if you're happy with your situation. So there's something to read into there as well. Uh, And then obviously things didn't go as planned with his level of play, then the injury, and then he came back. Why? I could not say. And it didn't go well either. Um, If I'm the devils, I do not rely on him in any sort of starter capacity or one a role. It's one B at best backup. Maybe one B though is probably where I would see it. Um, if, if anything, I don't think they'd be in the wrong to move on from him as long as they have another option to replace him. But I don't think it's the wrong decision either to bring in a better goaltender and roll with him as the 1B. But then you have to be careful with how much you spend. That isn't go out to free agency and hand Billy Huso everything that you have and still have Blackwood as your you know 1B. I think that might be a little trickier too. Um, but no, this is he's not a goalie from a fantasy perspective I would trust or from a roster construction that I would trust as the starter. I just, I don't think, I mean, look, we know goaltending is the most volatile position. It's really hard to predict. And you can look at players having incredible years, absolutely terrible year, years, and they find their way back up. Maybe that happens here. But I have a little less faith in it happening in a starter's capacity next year. Yeah, well, and it's it's odd with Blackwood too because as you know, as a, a Rangers fan who watches and interacts with a fair amount of Devils fans, there was a period like within the last I'd say twenty months or so where there was a belief that Blackwood was like, you know, maybe the best upcoming goaltender in right. the division, and I don't think anyone thinks that even Devils fans nope. anymore. It really feels like a fall from grace in a lot of ways. There, um, interesting to sort of hear how the. Um, how the the relationship with the team, um, you know, from appears to be frayed as well there, and it does make sense given given the external stuff that was going on this year. Um, did you see anything from any of the other goalies? I know that Nico Daz had an okay stretch. Like, would you? Obviously, you're saying you know you're not running it back in a, in a way where Blackwood is the one A and then one of these other guys is the one B. But like, no, nope. <laughs> any sort <laughs> of situation, where, right? Do you trust any of the the Dawes of the world or, or anyone else to sort of to be back in any meaningful way? I think Dawes could be, but I think what's best for him is actual playing time above all else. So I think for another year, you know, playing Utica might be the best situation for him. He had some bright spots, but I think, you know, it was a workload greater than him, which is fine. And it's not that goalies can't come into it young, but I just think that the Devils need a little bit more security if they actually want to make it, you know, a run for it. They can't rely all of their hopes on Dawes because that's not going to help his development, which should be the priority as well, because they know how it can go astray if not. So I think that he should probably be back in Utica for the time being, and they can figure it out from there, whether it's in a year or in half a year or in two years, whatever it may be. I think that they need to have an option in front of him. Otherwise, John Gillies is an unrestricted free agent. I don't imagine he's back. I don't imagine they want him back. Andrew Hammond, it didn't work out for after the deadline. Uh, Jonathan Bernier is a tricky one because he is signed and he had hip surgery. That's something that's really, really, really tough for goalies to come back from. And, you know, he's in his 30s too. This isn't a 21-year-old having the surgery. So, you know, there's as much as they can hope that he'll be back. And if he is, I'm sure they would be happy to have him, you know, as a backup again. 
I don't think they can rely on that. That's the biggest thing is just ensuring that there's a plan and that there's a little bit more security in that than this year. They couldn't have predicted things would have gone this year, but they did. So now they have to ensure that they don't again. Yeah, uh, I would wouldn't be surprised at all to see Bernier uh, start the year and end the year on LTIR or something. You know, just put him out to on Bernier Island. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Shana, I feel like I've asked you, I've exhausted my question list for you. You've burned through them. I I, <laughs> I admire your uh, your speed in answering here. I guess I'll throw one more at you. Um, where do you see the Devils going, or do you have a do you have a preference for where they go with their their head coach hire? So the Devils have two assistant coach roles open, but they haven't decided what to do with their head coaching position, and I find that super interesting. I have not always held a high opinion of Lindy Ruff as a head coach, or honestly as an assistant coach, based on some of his time in New York. But I know he had some success in Dallas, and obviously some in Buffalo. I'm curious if the answer is finding two. X's and O's coaches to come in and legitimately run the defense and penalty kill and the forwards and the power play with Lindy at the helm and figuring out a way to move forward. Because I did think, you know, he was someone I was a little bit skeptical of in how he handled new information too, whether he was innovative at all. And, you know, to my surprise, he's someone that does look at everything a little bit more than I anticipated. Uh, so I'll give him credit for that. I don't know if the answer is running it back with him or if it's going for a completely clean slate. But it does seem like the players like him. And I think that should hold some weight, um, unlike in other franchises where they don't care what the players think. If the players truly do feel that he's the right answer, I think that they're, you know, they should be listened to to an extent as long as the assistants can be brought in to make sure things are different from, you know, can can he change? Can he evolve? That's the biggest question. And, you know, that's something management has to find out. So I'm really curious to see if they do that because it does feel like if not rough, would it be another recycled coach who knows how to win and take a team back to the playoffs or would they go for the more innovative route? I'm really not sure because at this point they might want, you know, more of a guarantee that they're going to, you know, take it to the next level versus experimenting. Yeah. And I, I mean, you get the, you get the impression looking at this team that they are, they feel like a team with, you know, with good goaltending that could compete next year. Like it really feels like the sort of situation where they could either get rid of Lindy Ruff, not have him go into next year, or, you know, this time next year, he's up for the Jack Adams. Like it, it, it's an odd <laughs> yeah. situation. Yeah. All right, Shana. Uh, once again, I just have to say it for the bit. So lucky to have you join us. Thank you for hanging out with us. And uh, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find my work at Sportsnet. Uh, I have two stories there a week. You can find my work at The Athletic and uh, the Too Many Men podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And I hope that we can uh, welcome you back at some point. It's always a pleasure to chat. Thanks for having me.